Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Midday Joy with Unati. 12 to 3 p.m. on Kaya FM. We're trying something new right now. We're trying to have honest conversations around everything that we're going through as adults. Adulting is not easy, so it's wonderful to be able to stop once in a while and to have conversations about the current dispensation that we find ourselves in. I have four guests right now, and we're starting a roundtable discussion, and the first theme is Black Love. We have us PM yeah, on the line, an entrepreneur, consultant, writer, and editor, and chief for over 20 years' experience in, in media, communications, arts, and culture, nonprofit industries. And he is the founder and managing partner of the Noted Corporation, Noted, a medium agnostic content communications company. Right by his side, phenomenal gentleman as well, Mr. Gabo Muvilakazi, South African actor and singer, best known for the roles in films and television series like Zabalaza, Sink, and Seriously Single. Apart from acting, he's also a phenomenal writer, poet, uh, published author, musician, rapper, and producer. On the line as well, we have Olindo Gorte, writer, filmmaker, commentator, and curator, also uh, the creative brain behind the documentary Black Love, and the man behind this specific theme himself. Gorte, the man, is a film and television professional, creative and strategic consultant, and a mental health wellness advocate, especially when it comes to men and supporting the LGBTQIA plus community. Welcome everybody. Half of you are at home, half of you are here because it is indeed that time to social distance. I thank all of you for joining us right now. Thank you. My uh, excitement is is on overdrive. Kusha, may I start with you in, in that it was a topic... It's a conversation we've been having, I think, all of us with regards to we need to have these conversations. But specifically, black love is something that speaks to your heart. Why did you want us to start with black love? Yes. Uh, firstly, thank you for having me. Here. Thank you for all of you. Um, so the topic of black love and why uh, I suggested it is because it's one that, you know, I think, like you said, is a topic we've all been discussing. And when you look at social media, for example, you kind of see the, the two parallels. You see people that are celebrating it. And then at the same time, you see the warped side where people are in kind of like a gender war. And you're seeing a lot of men attacking women, women attacking men. And more often than not, it's it's a lot of the times, you know, fellow black people going at each other. Mm. And so it led me to, you know, question why. And what does black love look like? Because mm. there is, you know, partnership, man, woman, man, man, woman, woman. And then there's also self-love. Mm. And we have to factor in, or at least I do, you know, the effects and the ramifications of apartheid and what things like segregation did and what it set out to achieve in terms of breaking down the black nucleus, in terms of breaking down black confidence and black love, self-love. How do we define what black love is today. Linda Kotler, you asked yourself that question and this is how you came to curate the documentary about black love. What were some of the standouting images or, or themes along your, the, your experiences when it comes to black love and how we define it, but also how we live it as, as a black people? So I just wanted to just have a point of clarification before we go in. I was not, I don't want to have people feeling arranged out of the brain behind the Black Lives documentary. I was, however, part of the team. Yes. Um, working on a film called The People Versus the People, which was part of a series that Lebo Khamwatitaba had produced for Viacom Africa. Yes. And so the central question of 
the people versus the people I think came from another film that I worked at level, which is the people versus the rainbow nation, I think. Yeah. And then we were looking kind of at like, you know, like the, the woke generation. It was around the time of three months forward and seeing young people develop a new language for existing that, that pertained to them specifically, yeah. you know, and seeing how there was this, for me particularly, my interest was in seeing where the conversation was going. I had reached the point where I no longer wanted to discuss issues about race with white people. I did not feel that it could go anywhere, and I felt like all it did was contribute to like an environment of spectacle and scandal and outrage generation that we do on social media. This is what we're angry about today, you know? And I was trying to figure out how to have more productive conversations while keeping my politics intact. Yeah. And that's where love for me came as almost like a revolutionary force. For sure. But the only reason we fight is because we love ourselves, because we love each other as black people. Um, and that was the idea of black love or a decolonial love that becomes revolutionary. Um, and therefore you speak to your own people. You speak to your community. You speak to the people that you love. Um so yeah, that's how the question came about for me. Spiro, you, you have narrated along generations and for over two decades now, navigating through different themes of, of, of blackness um, and South Africanness. As a man who is a family man himself, who is a narrator, but who also stands for a generation, what difficulties or, or, or challenges have you had in terms of Possibly always bringing it back to a positive light, because as as Ukushla was saying in the beginning, it can be polarizing when you say black love. Um, half our half our generation or half our community celebrates it, but a lot of it is 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 triggered by it because it doesn't necessarily come from a wonderful loving place. The co- the concept of black love. I think I'm, I'm probably more interested in a fuller. Um, narrative yes. about us, yes. right? A fuller narrative about us, not necessarily a positive or a negative one. There'll always be positive and negative everywhere, yeah. um, you know. But a, a fuller then conversation. So I'll give you an example. In 2004, I was involved with a magazine called Blink Magazine, and yeah. the whole idea was celebrating Black African men um, in a life that hasn't that hadn't been done before, yeah. and. You know, when I tell my friends about looking back at that time and that moment, it was a very important moment and you can still see the blank DNA in a lot of what um, kind of media aimed at black men uh, looks like and yes. sounds like even today. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, if, if I were to criticize some of what we were doing then is that we were probably too celebratory and probably not focused enough on the things that could make us better. Right. Because there was so much negativity, because, you know, um, in the past, there may have been issues around role modeling, um, although not completely, because, you know, as a a black man growing up in the 80s and 90s, I had great role models, my own father, other men who, you know, who played um, who played positive male role model roles. Yes. You know, even then. Yeah. Um, But that wasn't the overwhelming story. So I think we were very keen to then tell that story of positivity black men who were, you know, present with their with their kids, um, you know, black men who were introspective and so on. But I think what we, we didn't do is interrogate enough um of the things that we could improve, the things that we could um look at and say, you know what, this needs a little little bit of improvement because we haven't got for example, you know, we weren't speaking to women 
uh, black women especially enough. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're celebrating them, you know, writing stories about them, profiling them, and not just because, you know, um, they put they, they, like other magazines are doing, you know, they, they, they look good in a bikini. We were very interested in what they had to say. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a time when we, and I think this, t- the, 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 this time is now, because ever since that time, um, all my work has really been about black love. Yeah. It's been really been about exploring what black women think, for example. Um, you know, speaking to women like Linda Gusha, whether it's in a public sphere where, you know, we do interviews and, and she, she writes things that enlighten us as black men. Um, or trying to find spaces um, in which women need help and women trying to not on behalf of women, but trying to translate some of the things that women have been trying to drum into our heads for years and years and years to an audience of men who feel attacked, you know. Ironically, in a a country where it's actually black women predominantly, overwhelmingly so, who are attacked in every single way, physically, um, you know, financially, mentally, spiritually, etc. So... In telling this full story, then um, we, you know we have we, we have to be able to dig in and say yes, there are positives. Um, you know, all of these things are happening that weren't happening many years ago, but we need to dig deeper. And the, the, the love that we need to show to each other um, needs to be lived. You know, it, yeah. it, it needs to be lived beyond the hashtag. You know, black love for me is what you do when you're not on Instagram. You know, yeah. black love for me is how you treat your gardener. Black love is how you treat um, your housekeeper, yeah. how you treat your employees at yeah. work. That's black love in action. Yeah. Something Kusha mentioned when we began this conversation, Kabumu, was, you know, how apartheid has affected how we love and perceive love and receive love. It's a conversation I always have with my father. And, I, and Spiwa, you've mentioned having a male father um, example who's physically there for you. I grew up watching my father uh, play Marvin Gaye while my mom is cooking and washing the dishes and, and swing her away from, from the, the, the sink and, and, you know, have her wet hands on his shoulders as they slow dance in front of my sister and I and I say it's a luxury that I experienced because I was raised off the continent so they didn't have the survival a threat every day of apartheid of um, you know some, some, some households were separated the men are at the mines or in different cities and the mothers are left alone with the children so love definitely affection um the expression of love was a luxury for our generation because our parents were predominantly surviving. And it's a conversation I have with my father and that I always say to him, I, I've experienced love in a luxury sense because you and mom didn't have that in England at the time. You often, Gabon, speak about not having these examples as men, um, but you have to be, be the example. What are the conversations you're having as peers and, and how are you navigating around this? I ask this specifically because you exemplify love on stage. You speak to us women on stage and I see how women fall in love with you, but also you disarm men and you, you allow them to have to start that conversation around love through the songs you continuously compose. For sure. I think definitely with, with both what the gentleman said about about what what is this legacy that we that was given to us by our fathers, our uncles, the men in our communities. Yeah. Um, that they've had to have a different love language because um, the environment was of trauma. Yeah. So versus any other man who had who didn't have to deal with apartheid, yeah. my 
father's main priority uh, ensuring my mom's love was just to keep her alive. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily romance and um, and kisses and mm. walks in the parks because for them it was illegal. It was just if I can just keep my wife and my kids alive for one more day. Yeah. That is that is my act of love, right? And once that immediate, I mean, it never goes away because race politics are, are our daily lives in this country. But yeah. once the immediate fear of losing our lives over our race goes away, what am I left with as the son who grew up in this household, in a household where th- that wasn't expressed? Yeah. Uh, where do I learn these things, you know? Yeah. Um, and the reality is that um, the we've now the men of our generation, whether we want to admit or not, we've we've now um, inherited this this um, this trauma, and we're now expressing it on our women. Yeah, and we don't even want to have this conversation. Uh, the conversation that um, I'm glad that they brought up um, on social media, where like it's. It's like a war where, like, the women are saying these men are trash, yeah. and these men are like, we're not interested in this conversation where you're calling us names, yeah. uh, or um, we're not interested in, in hearing where your anger and your fear comes from. Yeah. So I think for me, my entry point into um, into expressing black love is just for me as a man and say, since you're the one who's scared, since my face represents you being burnt and you being raped and you being killed and you being found in in ditches across the country, why don't you tell me what you, how you want me to express my love as a black man to you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if men are ready to have that conversation as yet. Is that a fair <laughs> assumption, Kusha? Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, yes, to, to an extent it is. Uh, the reality is is that as a black man, I need to navigate through life knowing that I'm perceived as a threat by society. How does that make you feel knowing that you're not a threat? Well, it gets back to, I think, self-assurance okay. and self-esteem. Okay. And from what I see, going back to social media, yeah. when I see a lot of young brothers or even older brothers attacking woman yeah it comes from a lack of self comes from a lack of confidence yeah low self-esteem yeah you feel the need to belittle a woman because you yourself have gone through your traumas so in my time when i look at black love mm. i recognize like i said i walk through the mall i get into an elevator and there happens to be some danny you know, she might clutch her purse a little bit tighter. Oh, doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter how I'm dressed that I've got an iPhone twelve in my hand <laughs> that I'm speaking better English than she, she is. She sees black man, she clutches her purse. Yeah. So I have to recognize that from a societal level, I am seen as a threat. I'm a criminal, right? Yeah. Then amongst my fellow black people, yeah. women, I am seen as a threat. Mm. And so, like I was saying, the thing that I've realized for myself is that black love, for me, is about empathy. It's about understanding that when you jump on social media and you see a lot of black sisters going at men, if you understand that one in every three women is raped in this country, Mm. that on average there's about 50,000 plus um, reported cases of rape 
but only 5% ever get taken to court, mm. right? Like a 5% conviction rate mm. out of 50,000. Mm. That is a level of anger that I cannot understand. So I also need to realize that for a lot of black women growing up, mm. they are either victims of child molestation mm. or rape as they have then grown up and entered womanhood. So there is going to be that anger and the the reality is is a lot of those injustices are done to them by fellow black men not not white men right not that white men don't do it to black people yeah but today the biggest antagonist to black women is black men but at the same time understanding that there are a lot of black brothers who have also grown up in abusive households who have also grown up having been molested and grown up in a single parent household where um, on average that parent is the mother. Yeah. And they grow up, unfortunately, to have misguided anger. Yeah. Your father left the household and you blame your mom. Yeah. So you take it out on other women. For and I sure. think once we can reach a level of empathy yeah. and understanding and compassion, yeah. that's where you'll be able to understand to an extent why a person is as angry as they are. Yeah. And I don't need to fight fire with fire. Yeah. And hopefully I can try and educate you. But some people sometimes value you just gotta be like I bet and put them in their place. I hear and you. that's where I champion many sisters and I've seen yourself and many others where about back and they're just going at you online and they're talking to you as if they woke up in the bed with you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where you know you come out with them in that place. Yeah. You gotta establish your boundaries. Exactly. And Gutle, if I can get back to you as we were talking and going on the premise that Gutle was was, you know, highlighting that we are all so hurt and hurt people hurt people. We don't we don't mean to be triggered, but we, we really, really are. And it goes back to I was telling a friend of mine in that when one person gets accused on social media, whether they are found guilty or not, it triggers all our past pains and our past hurts. But we've got to meet each other somewhere if we really want to heal. My sister, where do we even begin? (laughs) I have a very big question. Um, But before I go and answer, I just wanted to so related to what Gusha was saying before he reached this conclusion is I am noticing when we discuss the things that exist between us that make it difficult for us to be like radical in our kindness, radical in our empathy, to be loving towards each other mm. as black men and black women. Um, <clears throat> for black men, it's always very vetted, right? Colonization, apartheid, having to be a provider, the ways in which patriarchy harms men. Those are always very like accepted, valid reasons in which men are allowed to be dicks or assholes mm, or abusers. Language, language, language. I get it, but language, my love. We've got kids listening. We've got kids listening. Please, I don't want to get into trouble. I don't want to get taken oh, off okay. air. Did I use- Yes, 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 yes. Oh, <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, so, are allowed to behave in and towards ways. Yes. Right? Yes. And these are like big structural framework things. It's the ways in which the world is structured. When it comes to women, is or oh, maybe this person got molested, or maybe this person got their heart broken, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm always wondering why it is that we don't imagine that structural oppressions and equalities affect women too yeah. on a very intellectual, emotional, and structural level. I don't have that example of just a man who has to go provide and do everything by himself. 
and have a woman who essentially just looked up to him. I know of migrant labor systems that built this country in which the homes were actually held by a woman because the men weren't around. Yes. Um, so I'm always very curious about why is it always these structural things that affect men, but when it's women, um, it's almost these like whimsical, uh, smaller issues. That's a question I would throw back to, to the panel, but when it comes to how do we communicate hurt without being hurtful? I would ask. Or is it even a fair request of me? Sorry. Am I even requesting something that's fair? Is is what I'm requesting unfair? I'm. I, I would like some clarification because I think generally when we ask people to communicate things, we're always addressing um, this request to a victim and not a perpetrator. Right. Yeah. Um, we're always policing the tone, measuring how people who have been victimized are able to respond to their own victimizers. And also putting the owners and the labor on edu- of educating people on how to treat us like human beings on earth. It's a little bit crazy, no? I don't think so. I think, you know, people treat us the way we allow them to treat us. Um, And, you know, it's something I said when I opened the the panel in that our mothers were under stress because they were running single-headed households. And it's, it's, it's a luxury to expect them to understand love and a tenderness because love for them was survival, you know. Um, but we do want to be treated in a certain way. And we have to indicate that, whether it's through verbal indication or setting boundaries physically. Um, for me, I'd, I agree with you in that the onus, and, and please step in, Spiro and, and Gabon Gushe, I agree in that the, the, the onus is often, and most of the time, as you were saying, Linda, put on the, the victim. Um, but without talking victim and prey, talking love, talking brotherhood, talking love from strangers, as the men were saying, that by virtue of us looking at them, we 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 are threatened and we do portray that physically um so how do we start having those conversations with each other and them in return because as as Gutle was saying it's it's often uh, the men are are dictatorial and and abusive and pushy and aggressive um how do we bring it back i guess that's my question to 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 communicate who we are how we want to be loved um, and, and try to avoid the pain that, that comes with it because we all carry it generationally and, and for many other reasons, institutionally, um, pain being afflicted purposefully and, and things like that. Well, Nancy, if I may just come in. I think, um, you know, I think, you know, if, you, if you're saying that people treat us the way we allow them to, you know, I think it's to discount the many women who actually don't I mean, if we're talking, you know, gender uh, relations. That's not women, my, yeah, that's not my we, intention at all. Thank you for so, pointing that out. Yeah, because you know, the, a lot of women don't have. Um, they would love to have agency in certain relationships, yeah. but they don't for yeah. many reasons: structural, financial, emotional. Because men can be emotionally abusive in, yeah. many, in many relationships. So you know, there could be a countless reasons why. You know, if 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 you know, if if 
I suppose it's not as simple as that. Yes. yes. That, that, that Thank you for highlighting that. Yeah, that was never my intention. Yeah. Thank you, my love. In certain situations, but yeah, in, in many situations, women don't have that that, that agency. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think then, you know, it, as far as you know, Gabon was talking about men kind of shutting down a lot of these debates, these arguments. Again, it's 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 I suppose this overused term, but it's true. It's male privilege of being able to say, actually, I don't want to talk about this. Until until you sort out that hashtag, until you don't use that hashtag. I mean, how can a hashtag be so offensive to you that you are willing to to, to condone? Because by by keeping quiet, because you've been shut down by a hashtag, you're condoning murder, you're condoning rape, you're condoning all sorts of abuse. Um, if you are not coming out against that, so you know, I, I, I didn't imagine that hashtags were so powerful that they, they could allow you or they could take away, strip away your humanity, your ability to just empathize with someone on a purely human level. So I think Linda Whistler is right in the sense that men can get away with a lot of things, yeah. you know, and as and, and even as we get more sophisticated, as we learn the language, as we try and you know, a lot of us use. That say that very same language to perpetuate the same inequities. It's profoundly so, and thank you for pointing that out. And you know, I think for me, it's it's going back to making sure that every view, every experience is validated, and and in in their complexities and in the different vast contexts that we find ourselves in. Can can sure. we? <laughs> do you want to continue? Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. Is it possible then to, is it a conversation we will ever be able to be victorious about given the different complexities that we've, the five of us have highlighted today in that there's so many different rabbit holes we can, we can disappear into. Would we ever get a point where there's a positive hashtag towards black love that we can move towards as, as you've highlighted that, you know, once a man sees uh, male privilege, it, it rubs him up the wrong way. Is there, do you possibly think we could get to a point where there's positivity towards black love without being romantic about it? Oh, we have to, though. Like, I don't think we have a choice. We have to have the hope that we will get there. Um, but it, ha- it starts with us acknowledging that we're in a mess right now. I think we just tend to put blankets over a lot of stuff. That's that's my worry. Uh, uh, but yeah. we have to remove that blanket and acknowledge it, um, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, it, it, it's almost like for men, they they have a need for for somebody to sympathize with them to say to justify, which is what Linda was highlighting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we have to we have to have hope. Yes. Isn't that isn't that at the end of the day we we can't afford to give up and if this is this conversation is a seed that allows these conversations to to exist in other spaces that don't that no usually, usually don't have the opportunity to have these conversations then let's keep having this conversation until yeah. we see some pathway develop, you know? But we, we have to have hope. Very true. Because the thing is, you know, to hold hope doesn't cost a thing. Doesn't cost you to hold hope to have the belief that we can change things. If you think about our ancestors who were enslaved, then all the way to apartheid, there were literally people who did not think that we would ever, as a people, be here. So we need to hold that hope, but also recognize, in having seen the liberation of our people, that that moment that you speak of, 
might not be what we think it will look like. Mm. But because we see liberation today doesn't look like what we thought it would, <laughs> right? So even with that, when we get to the point where we are able as a collective to come to the table and speak from a place of positivity, that it might not be as romantic as you were mm. saying, yeah. but we should hold on to that hope. We need to have that belief. And it might not be something that happens in our time. We might be very old when it happens, but we we need to keep pushing it and we need to come with suggestions. One of the things for me I think is necessary is the schooling system. We need to start looking at the revamping of the schooling system. There needs to be stuff like classes, like gender dynamics. Mm-hmm. We need to start teaching these facts because we almost coddle children and we protect them to their own detriment mm. about the harsh realities of life. So we need children to understand about the ramifications of abuse, that these rape statistics do exist. And we need to start looking at what does a healthy gender dynamic look like so that a child who is growing up in an abusive home can at least find some sort of safe space at school understanding what an interaction with another person of the opposite gender or you know, Even the same who, gender, yeah, the because same, we yeah, have the, the rainbow nation. And the same gender. Yeah. And somebody who's transitioning, right? How you treat your fellow human being. Mm. So, unfortunately, for a lot of kids, they leave their abusive home. They go to school. With, with that learned behavior. With that learned behavior. And the most that they get is suspension, detention, uh, reprimanded. And no one's actually looking at the root Explanation. Mm. of why. So if we had things like gender dynamics or, you know, wh- whatever kind of structural system within the school to, to, to look at how we can start treating one another yeah right in a healthy and positive way uh, it's 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 going to exacerbate this and it's going to it's going to extend this so i think we also need to start looking at including some of these things you know stop forcing children to go and do uh, computer science when this kid has zero interests in that yeah that is something that affects all of us Linda Gushe as a storyteller just to close it off um and as a narrator of our conversation Do you have a suggestion on how we we can earnestly do so, as we were saying, without creating blankets, without sugarcoating anything? Um, Because we we, we often ask ourselves as narrators, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? Right. So I think, yeah, I agree with which I think education is a very big thing. But I think outside of like a certain level uh, um, in your life, Maybe school isn't something that you encounter or come in terms with, but I think that like a self-education, a discipline of self-education is the biggest thing, right? So how do you go into a conversation with somebody who might not have a voice as loud as yours, who might not have as much agency and learn how to listen, not speak so much or take up, up so much room? For me, I think a lot of it, and this may be just because of this is my training, but I think equipping yourself like intellectually with the tools that you need to support your emotional self. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, um, who do I read? What are the resources? What does Bell Hook say about black love? What did Baldwin say? And also the most comforting thing is to know that these conversations have preceded us, that there are models and people who've had these conversations and done groundwork. But by the time I enter this, conversation now we don't need to do what James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni did mm. right it's been done before like we need to move yeah mm. 
But sorry, so how do we how do we then get people to to know where to start looking? Like somebody who's listening right now, um, so, where do they start? So, Gabomo, I mean, if, if, if I may just come in there, you know, I think from from what everyone is saying about what to do, so I think I hear hope. Um, I think it is important <laughs> to, to hold on to hope, and yes. I'm not trivializing hope at all. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's important. Um, and then Linda Wisher takes it further and, say, and says we need to equip ourselves, so we need to read and read and read and listen and listen and listen. But I think, you know, a third element is really work, you know? We yeah, need to work changed on behavior. <laughs> yeah, we need to work on it. And, and this is the one thing that I, you know, through, through my platform, Noted Man, for example, you know, we, 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 we kind of try and do this work. It's tough. We are all kind of shooting in the dark half the time. Um, we are asking women, for example, to, to help us. And we know that it's unfair yeah. to be asking them to do that labor because we're always asking them to do that labor. Um, so we do some of the labor, most of the labor ourselves. Um, but there are times when we have to, to ask women. So that's part of the work. And we have to sit there and listen and listen attentively. And listen to difficult answers because mm-hmm. we're not going to get we're not going to get rosy answers all the time. You know, I'm going to ask Linda Gushe. So, what is the biggest threat to black women? Which I did in an interview that I did with her, and her answer was you. Yeah. Right? Yep. And then I had to kind of sit back and think. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it take to take half a day to kind of think about this answer, and then you know we talked it through, and it emerged that yes, she meant you, but also meant society, meant everyone. It, you know. But, you know, you are going to get those answers and you are going to have to introspect. And that's part of work, you know. So for me, it could be, I could take that on, you know, Linda Wosha could say, you are the problem. And I could take it personally and think, okay, you know, I'm not talking to her anymore. Yeah. Um, I tried because this is kind of the part of the narrative is, well, I'm trying my best. You know, you're not allowed to criticize me because I've read a Bell Hooks book, you know. Yeah. No. That, that doesn't stop there. You have to constantly keep evolving, constantly keep asking, um, applying what you're learning, um, you know, throughout your entire life. And this is the other thing, like it's, it's a lifelong struggle. It's yeah. a lifelong learning curve. Um, it just doesn't begin and end somewhere. It's, it's, it's a lifetime. I love that and, and, and you know it's a great place to end this conversation but also to preempt next week's conversation which is it is work and it's it's constant work and changed behavior is the only apology that is acceptable. So in that light allow me to introduce next week's topic which is we're asking you men specifically why is it that when we say the term male privilege it irks you but you love standing up when we stand together midday joy with unati 12 to 3 p.m on kaya fm rewinding rewinding kaya fm on fm rewind visit kayafm.co.za for more